Cool. Um, should we begin? Shall we begin with the podcast? Yes, we should. Um, welcome to Can We Do It, a podcast where we ask can about we... things. Ooh, okay, I don't know if you were setting me up then to say Can We Do It, sorry. Yeah, shall we go again? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> welcome to Can We Do It, a podcast where we ask Can We Do It? I'm Josh, and you are... I'm Evan. Nice. Yeah. That's it. I don't need to say any anything else, I don't think, do I? Just no, that's Evan. all right. Cool. Just Evan. Um, yeah. Today, we're talking about the Hyperloop. I feel you've talked about this quite a bit to me before, but I don't actually... I don't know. It's I probably things... have said stuff about it, yeah. Yeah, but I don't think I've ever properly, like understood what you're talking about (laughs) so now i might actually understand so that's good um as always um evan today will be giving us a practicality and feasibility oh no feasibility and practicality ratings feasibility goes is it possible with the materials and the knowledge we know today practicality goes is it actually practical? Mm. So, yeah. And we did have a coolness rating last time, but are we ditching that now? Um, no, we can have a coolness rating. I just I like we the coolness a... rating because I feel like that needs to be taken into account. Sometimes we should be able to do stuff just because it's a bit cool. Yeah, I I completely agree. So, um, I guess we should get onto the origins of the hyperloop, should we? Yeah. Um, oh, of course. <laughs> so if you've been living under a rock for a thousand years and somehow don't know, uh, this guy is the world's favourite billionaire, Elon Musk. Everyone just loves him so much. He's, he's the wor- a- I mean, he, yeah, he's the world's favourite billionaire. He's the favourite. <laughs> um, for a period of time, I believe, possibly still is the richest man in the world. Wait, is he actually... I didn't I know think that, so. I think. Ah. I don't know, because Tesla's shares have crashed oh, a bit. Oh, yeah, because then they skyrocket or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, there is that to consider. Yes. But, um, sorry, I'm trying to find a mouse pad that works that's not as noisy as my desk. <laughs> so, in 2013, out of frustration that California's high-speed rail plans were too expensive and not techy enough... Elon Musk and a team of employees at Tesla and SpaceX released a white paper detailing a system called the Hyperloop. After claiming that the high-speed rail system would be two times more dangerous than flying, Musk went on to define that he was investigating a system that would be safer, faster, cheaper, more convenient, more immune to weather, self-powering, earthquake-resistant, and less disruptive to people living on the route. Therefore, after consideration of all these factors, Elon Musk went on to create this. The Hyperloop. Can I, wait, one thing I just, when you were saying all that then, so did he do his own investigation where he, to say that it was more dangerous than flying? I have no idea where he got that number from. I think it's somewhere in the white paper. Okay, Um, because I just thought when you're trying to sell people on your idea 
Having oh your... no, he said that the train was going to be two times more dangerous to yeah, fly. Yeah, no, no, that's what I mean though. So yeah. when, you, when trying to sell people the Hyperloop, by doing your own investigation that discredits normal trains and everything, <laughs> that feels a bit fishy to me personally. Already, really? I know. Really, when... you feel it's fishy? Yeah, because... What about that makes it... What about that could possibly be fishy? <laughs> I know. The whole making money off it is a big thing. <laughs> well, you know, in the course of the episode, we aim to determine what is and what is not fishy. Yes. Obviously, in a fair and balanced way, because we are the BBC. Are we? I didn't know. That. Uh, of course, I actually needed to make the whole slides grayscale to oh, obviously yeah. more on the passing of Prince Philip. Yeah, we're um, going back to black and white and everything. Yeah, black to black and white. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think the National Rail Inquiry site made that turn themselves I, all grayscale. I heard about this. <laughs> yeah, and then basically people couldn't use it because they had limited vision. <laughs> Yeah, and they couldn't make out what things were. Like we, I, I, you can mourn Prince Philip without having to turn your website grayscale. I feel just that's just a general thing. I mean, I haven't done anything grayscale, and I, I mean, I've deep, still managed to mourn. I'm people. mourning for yeah. eight days deeply, of course, yeah. of course, as of we course. all are, as we all are. <laughs> um, so. So Hyperloop's like a tube and a pod-based system. It so does look get... cool. Just by the... Sorry, I'm just saying... It does look cool. Yeah, yours. it does. So that is adding to the coolness rating for me right now. But you can go on. Um, you, you get in the pod and the pod goes through the tube and then you get out the pod. So is it kind of like the underground but with cooler trains? Oh, but no, but like, but I was just thinking because of tubes and stuff. That's all I was thinking. Yeah, it's like I mean, the tube is a tube. This is a tube, but the but is it overground or under? Um, it's a mixture. It's designed uh, to travel in a tube, like in a big metal tube, and um, the Hyperloop Alpha white paper. Uh, proposes a reduced pressure in the tubes to reduce the air resistance the pods face, allowing them to increase speeds and reduce energy consumption. Ooh. The pressure stated in the Alpha document is 0.015 PSI. I think Earth's atmosphere is about 20 PSI. Okay. So, one one-thousandth the pressure at sea level on Earth. Um... The speed of the initial concept um, was for a, a system that would travel at 760 miles per hour. <laughs> Wait, 760? Did you say? Yeah. Sorry, I'm just confirmed. Okay. Would. Wait. I might. This might be me being dumb. Wouldn't that have like loads of effects on the human body and stuff? I just. I just oh, wait. How fast do planes go? 500. Oh, okay. But yeah, that's like over. That's about 200 more still. It's, uh, I mean, this is one of the concerns, and um, we will get on to passenger comfort Okay. In, in due course. But yes, the answer to your question is yes. <laughs> Just yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so basically, it means that it would, the system, you know, with some accelerating, slowing down, mm. some slower sections, some faster sections, 
would get the 350 miles between Los Angeles and San Francisco in 35 minutes. That is good. Maybe we should ditch HS2 and also get a Hyperloop as well. Exactly. Exactly. You know, because I mean, how this quick is... would we be able to go from like London to Manchester then? Like like three seconds. Exactly. That would be fast. Yeah. Um, at the same time, to reduce cots, the pods are designed to use air skis to suspend themselves off the side of the tubes opposed to using magnetic levitation. Okay. So that's this air ski. Oh. So it's kind of supposed to be like a hockey table and hmm. it sort of sits on an air cushion. Um, yeah. I, I don't know with 1,000th the atmosphere of Earth um, how achievable that will be. <laughs> but, well, you know. Sorry, one thing I just realised is he talked about how much more dangerous... Um, the high-speed rail would be to planes. Did he ever contra- contrast the Hyperloop with the danger of HR, of um, high-speed rail? Or did he just go, it's really dangerous, that high-speed train stuff. Maybe we, you should do this Hyperloop thing. Because this sounds I, more dangerous to me, personally. Like, more I, things could go wrong here. Really? I don't know. Well, it's very fast. In a what pressure- could possibly go wrong? <laughs> I mean, it only travels at, you know, <laughs> the speed of a bullet. Yeah. Um, the p- pods only weigh about four or five tons. Oh, God. And, you know, they're traveling through a vacuum tube. Yeah. What could... I what don't could possibly see, go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? When I think safety, I think going at 700 miles per hour through a tube. That is... <sighs> yeah. Well, you see, it would be safe because... It will have like AI. Yeah. So uh, that will make it safe. Yeah. So um, acceleration is achieved by the mixture of air propulsion and linear induction motors. So just imagine all the magnets in a motor, but you unwind it and make it flat. Okay. And that's a linear induction motor. <laughs> I'll try and imagine that. It's just a it's just a motor, but it's it's just a longer line instead of like. So you have like electromagnets pull and magnet towards it. Okay. So if you like, imagine a motor. So this is a typical motor. Yeah, you, you might need like, to draw this. Sorry, because my mind is kind of you have blanking like, right now. Say, trying to imagine this. A magnet, and you have these electrical coils. And obviously, when you pass charge through an electrical coil, it attracts the magnet. Uh, So if you keep moving the charge around, the magnet moves around and is attracted to the different... And that's how they're propelling it forward. So, yeah, you basically do Uh, that, but you have these running linearly. Yeah. And you have your magnet... That's actually pretty there. smart. I do like that as an idea. For, is and that then, how they do um, mag... Is it maglev? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's oh, how okay. a maglev train works. So you have a mixture of um, magnets to sort of keep the train suspended above the track. Mm. And then you have... Um, so yeah, basically the propulsion system is basically a maglev. Oh, okay. So it's... Yeah. Yeah. 
but it's in a vacuum tube. Uh, I do actually quite like that as a general idea. So that has earned it some points with me, personally. Or maybe. It depends. Um, so the pods are going to be 1.35 metres wide and 1.1 metres tall. Wait, 1.1 metres... So are you going to have to be sat down, I'm guessing? Yes, you're going to have to lie down like Lo- this. Oh. Wait, is this like... Had Elon Musk seen like Futurama... He may have seen Futurama. So good, like, I'm just thinking because with that, it's like kind of they got sucked into tubes and everything. Yeah. I mean, they don't have the whole box thing around them. So it's more like a coffin that they're being <laughs> sucked through. But. I mean, at least, at least, yeah, you're, pre, you're pre-coffined. Yeah. In this system, which they didn't have in Futurama. Yeah, that's true. Um, so the pods will each carry 28 people and depart a frequency of every 30 seconds to every two minutes wait what? so but are they going down the same tube yeah. is there going to be more than one tube so wait so, so there's so, the, so there's tubes go they're, they're going at 30 seconds did you say to how yeah they said sorry, 30 just, seconds okay and so every 30 seconds, there's another one going. So they're about 30 seconds apart from each other. Yes. And the thing I'm just wondering, and this might be me being dumb again, uh, but I'm just thinking about safety here. <laughs> what? Let's say there was some kind of, because with the electromagnets, I'm guessing if there's like a power cut, they would stop, right? Yeah. So there would be these things going at 700 miles per hour down the tube. And if one of them stopped, wouldn't they crash into each other? And that's 30 seconds apart, so there's going to be quite a few of them. Yeah, it could be a bit of a pile-up situation. Wouldn't they just crash in? Or I guess you'd need... If they were all going down at the same speed, maybe. I don't know, but... Still. Um, so I actually have some maths that I did. Oh, okay. Based on this, um, which I will present to you in the safety slide. Oh, sorry, I'm already. I'm, I'm, sorry. <laughs> no, go for I'm it. I'm too safety minded. Maybe I'm already yeah, thinking about too, that kind of stuff. I think stuff. it's health and safety gone mad. Yeah, I mean, if it works, then it's really efficient and awesome. Um, maybe I'm just too scared. Maybe it's too like... much for me personally, but. Like, I feel like it might fit in the category of how I say what I feel about self-driving cars is that they work fantastically 99.9% of the time. Mm. I mean, with self-driving cars, person, this, this is completely unrelated, I guess, but I personally am more in favour of them because humans aren't that good. And it, like... Oh, do, do you know what I mean by that? Like, I get we're mentally... I think not the best computers. So think, if ninety nine percent of the time with a self driving car, that works better than like I don't know how much percent of the time with a person. I think probably if we were to sort of go to self driving cars, I'd probably say that um it's it's a very complicated problem where mm. I think probably the best application of the technology for now is in driver assist. Okay, yeah. So you're not, like, fully replacing the driver. You're simply 
yeah giving them tools to help to you know automatically break if it detects something in front of the car um basically yeah. just try and get people to pay attention and not do illegal things yeah the I thing i was good the thing i would say is that with the whole self-driving cars thing is that um personally i think that if we were to have them everyone would need them because that would make things a lot more easier for them i'm guessing because then they wouldn't have the unpredictability of human nature with other drivers does that make I sense guess, yeah i guess you have that i guess you also have everything else on the road like cyclists pedestrians oh uh, yeah animals um sometimes roads can change a bit so i guess you've got a lot of variables that are hard yeah. to predict anyway should we get back to the hyperloop i feel like we've gone off a yeah tangent. let's get back to the hyperloop <laughs> it's an interesting yeah. tangent i like an talking about that tangent, kind of stuff. yeah and um, it's kind of connected i guess but yeah so california's high-speed rail trains will have 450 seats per train um I really struggled to find figures for their planned service frequency. Um, but HS2 is planning on 18 trains an hour. Okay. So I decided to be safe to halve that figure to nine mm. and multiply by the amount of seats. So Hyperloop at a frequency of 30 seconds could carry 5,600 passengers an hour. California's high-speed rail, very conservatively, could carry 7,560 passengers an hour. Wait, so even with Hyperloop doing it every, like, 30 seconds, it's not carrying more people still? No. So that's some practicality points taken away, I feel. Yeah. Yeah, Wait, is that if there was only one Hyperloop tube? Yes. Because I feel like they could easily have more... Like, maybe they'll have one initially, but they could easily just build another tube, I'm guessing. I might I guess be wrong. The issue, I guess the key issue with building more tubes is that you build more tubes and you have more cost. Yeah, that's true. So it's like, if your quoted cost is six billion for two tubes, one in each direction, Yeah, it's like you want... One, th- one thing I'm wondering, because the, the whole 30-second thing, I just... There's a bit of me that doesn't understand it because that would mean people getting in in like 30 seconds, I would assume. You'd need a lot of different platforms. Yeah, and you'd need I mean, like it to be very um, coordinated, I feel, for it to be going that quickly or have a lot of um, of the pods. Um, yeah. So I'm wondering if the 30-second figure, they just chose to try and make it as quick as high-speed rail we're like for the amount of passengers because if it's lower yeah. with 30 seconds if they had said like a minute that would have halved it yeah so it's it's basically you're saying that they're making so you're saying that they might be I'm making not, up figures to make it appear i'm not competitive with me <laughs> i don't know because it's a high i'm i'm, I'm not gonna say that exactly because i don't know the ins and outs of this i'm just i'm Hearing it, I'm like, it's a hypothetical thing <laughs> and everything. And it would it seems very quick to be able to send it off every 30 seconds. Um, Less, I, It might be possible if you just had pods by themselves, but it's more the whole getting people into the pods in Yeah, the pods seconds. aren't exactly um, easy to get in and out yeah, of. Yeah, it's like lying down and everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
so you definitely need a lot of different platforms to put them in even though um, i sorry I, even though i was just saying that when i think about like the underground and stuff they go in less than 30 seconds usually i think i think the underground trains run at 90 second frequencies on the closest together lines okay. um but obviously you have those massive doors and not everyone is getting complete you're not completely unloading and not completely yeah, yeah completely offloading completely unloading at every station mm. so you might only be you know maxing out at like 25 percent of the people actually moving on and off the train at each station yeah but i do want to bring up vacuum tubes Ooh. um so this is um virgin's loop in vegas or outside of vegas in the desert it's um 500 meters so half okay. a kilometer um so one 980th of an atmosphere isn't particularly easy to deal with. So Musk says that because it's not a complete vacuum, it'll be easier to deal with. But I feel like that it's not necessarily going to be, say, 15 times easier than a complete vacuum, mm. but rather like, um, you know, probably 980 times more difficult than just having it ambient air pressure yeah yeah so each time a pod enters or exit the tube it will need to pass through an air airlock where the pressure is pumped down from 14.7 psi to 0.015 psi um during the spacex hyperloop pod competition competitors would often have to wait for around an hour before the kilometer long tube was pumped down to pressure um in a smaller airlock, that time could be somewhat reduced, um, but the point still stands is to probably add a likely non-trivial amount of time to the journey. Um, I think five minutes on either end would probably be realistic. Okay. Um, possibly less on the other side when they're just pump- pushing it up to pressure. Um and it's also likely a decent amount of energy would be needed to in order to maintain the vacuum on the 350 mile long tube, um, especially if it developed leakages. Oh, yeah. I didn't think about... Oh. Everything develops leaks. Yeah. Um, also, over here we have some images of thermal expansion. Metal heats up a lot on a hot day. Mm. Like if you've ever touched a metal surface in it's been sat out in the direct sun, yeah. perhaps, you know, in the California desert, they tend to expand quite like they tend to heat up quite a bit. And obviously when things heat up, they expand. And steel is very much one of those things. So um there's calculations that say, and I believe this is fairly similar to the white paper, that say that the thermal expansion along the tube would end up being 300 metres in total. Wait, the, the expansion would be 300 metres, so it would yeah. move. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so this is an image of a rail track. Um, would that be a metre a mile, I'm guessing, then? Is that right? Probably or not far off, less. yeah. I'm, 
probably yeah. just a little bit, maybe half a meter a mile would be a good estimate. Okay, yeah. So, and at the, and at the same time, it also has to maintain like a near vacuum yeah. <laughs> inside. Um, so, yeah, that the thermal expansion would probably be, I know, maybe that much. Okay, yeah. It would be about there to there over the length of it. So, um, yeah, traditional railways overcome this problem, as you can see when they... Where did my mouse go? Oh, there it is. Um, during the heat, the track can buckle and you end up with situations like this where your train is derailed because the track's gone all bendy because it's got longer yeah um, i didn't know that was a thing but now looking at it it makes a lot of sense yeah that's why there's so when it gets really hot in the uk um a lot of services are cancelled because the tracks they have to drive slower over the tracks uh... because they might just do this um and the overhead wires if they have them can sag so it makes yeah failure of equipment a lot more likely um so yeah um so generally they sort of manage it in two ways in that you'll have the track will be sort of stressed to sort of match the climate um and in places with a large temperature variation they do that twice a year um and you can also install thermal expansion joints so places in the track where the track has room to grow. Oh. Okay. So um Is it whether, how sorry, with those bits of the track, like in that picture, is there um, like certain bits that are like, oh yeah, that's a good point to do that in? Or probably it I don't know exactly how it works, because I think a lot of newer track is just all welded together mm. so there's no like joints so you don't hear that like clunk clunk um they try and get rid of those joints between the sections so i think um it's probably just cut at yeah. a section and then um you know pulled to the desired tension um so one of the issues is that obviously maintaining a vacuum with an expansion joint not so easy. Mm. Um, another issue is that if someone shoots at it, it could cause a quite significant failure of the tube. Oh wait, yeah, because I I don't know. There are quite a lot of people, even though he is everyone's favourite billionaire. There are quite a few people who don't like Musk. Yeah. So if someone I could I could see that happening if let's say they made it people would be like oh I hate Musk I'm going to shoot his tube or you know obviously if something collided into the structure and caused the tube to break then suddenly air comes rushing in yeah and you could end up sort of meeting a wall of standard pressure air while mm. you're moving at 700 miles an hour that doesn't sound um, great to me. I don't know what it mean would mean and what would happen, but it just doesn't sound right. 
Oh, it doesn't sound like a fun time. Yeah. So, yeah, basically one of the issues is that a failure on anywhere on the tube will cause the whole tube to fail. Mm. Um, but I have a proposal for fixing this. Okay. Which is to place the whole system in a climate-controlled tunnel for in its entire length. Okay. Yeah, uh, no, yeah, that makes sense. Is that part of his plan, though, I have to ask? No, he was just going to put it on big stilts. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, and he was going to use, like, air bridges, like a big Corsetina air bridge thing. Mm. But I feel like you don't want to have the whole tube travel 300 metres so that would be 150 meters on each end. That's a lot of pressure to put on the structure to, within a few hours, just have these, you know, thousands of, probably millions of tons of metal just start slowly moving themselves over the... Yeah. Um, but yeah, a tunnel sounds like a good re- re- reaction to these problems. So maybe um, you should become Elon Musk, Josh. So sorry. he quoted a... Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so he quoted a um, six billion cost for the system. Um, so I decided to do some napkin math. So he has this company called The Boring Company, which mm. we'll touch on in a bit. And they say they can tunnel tunnels for a mere $10 million a mile. So to tunnel 350 miles... Um, between LA and San Francisco would be $7 billion. Um, And that's ignoring, you know, ground conditions, avoiding services, needing access tunnels. Yeah. So, you know, and I don't, it's probably not, I think I calculated the cost of two tunnels. It should be two tunnels, including that cost. Although I can... I can double check my maths. Also, is the cost of like land included in that cost? Oh, do they need to buy land to be I guess able with to t- put a tunnel for it if it's the government? Like, so, that? I think um, with the original Hyperloop proposal, they kind of didn't really look at the land. And mm. that's kind of one of the key issues if you're building any system. And I think... I always say to this when people are looking at like building some kind of transportation system is what you run on it kind of doesn't matter because most things will provide a pretty high quality of service if you give them a dedicated right of way. Yeah. Um, Like a bus will be pretty good if it gets its own lane. Um, that is true because then it won't be stuck behind cars. Yeah. All the time. All the time. <laughs> and won't be late then as a result. Which is exactly. something I find quite a bit in Bristol. Oh yeah, good old Bristol. With the terrible bus service. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's a familiar one. Tell me about it. Mm. Um so I'll move on to propulsion. Okay. Um I don't know how they plan on using getting enough air from one thousandth of an atmosphere to actually float the capsule. So I'm just going to assume they're just going to go with a maglev 
um, most of the actual serious companies who are at least trying to build it have gone from maglev so oh wait so are there other companies who are trying to do the same thing as elon so he kind of did it as like a thing and then other other companies have kind of taken up the mantle of trying to do it ah okay so you got like virgin hyperloop hyperloop tt Uh, and all of that stuff yeah I know. So, I feel like personally, I I, I like mag. Is it, um, just make sure I'm saying this right. Maglevs. Or, yes. Yes. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, I personally like maglevs. I don't know. I just like the idea of them and everything. So I feel like first we it would be good if we could get most trains to that kind of standard. Well, not most, but you know, like only if yeah, we could have like let's try some see let's try some maglev systems before we try. A hyperloop, yeah. Hyperloop, yeah. Because there's only I, a few maglevs, isn't there? Yeah, I think there's only one commercially operating. It's like Shanghai to Shanghai Airport. Oh, yeah, exactly. Like, keep, keep getting all of those around before we start thinking about sending people at 700 miles an hour through a tube. It's kind yeah. of what I think, personally. Maybe. Um, yeah, one of the key barriers to maglevs taking off it's kind of not necessarily the viability of the technology, but the cost of all the infrastructure uh, Okay. for it. So you've got like um, these sort of electromagnet systems. This is the Japanese system, the SC Maglev. Um, and um, yeah, so they achieved a 370 mile, five miles an hour on this test track. Oh, that's good. Um, and I guess one of the big advantages of the maglev is it's a train. Mm. So you can have many carriages on it, um, which is obviously useful. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, so this is kind of the test track that they built, and it was kind of built with the idea that they'd extend it out on both sides and connect Tokyo and Nagoya should, you know, all the technology sort of be developed so yeah, that's what they're doing. Um, it's currently under construction, and they're going to connect Tokyo and Nagoya with like three hundred mile an hour maglev trains. Ah, oh, so good. Um, but basically, Hyperloop would build on this and put it in a vacuum tube and remove. Yeah. Um, but this is expensive. Mm. This costs a lot. <laughs> so I don't. I feel like add, obviously adding complexity will add cost. Yeah. Um. But we get on to the least important slide, which is safety. This is the most important slide, Josh, actually, because it's about human life. People don't want to die, personally, (laughs) I think. Safety is very important. Safety third. (laughs) Safety second. Safety second. After having a good time. Yeah, a, a good time comes first. Exactly. <laughs> and safety comes second. Yeah. So the 30-second um, separation of the pods. So I calculated, I did some math, or I went Ooh. on a website that does like math for you and does deceleration. So I went from 760 miles an hour, decelerating at 1G. Oh, so that's... Um, 
10 meters a second squared. So that is a lot of deceleration. That's basically, yeah, the force of gravity on you right now. Uh, um, that's how fast it would decelerate or have to decelerate. So it takes, so in that time, from 760 to zero miles an hour, decelerating mm. uh, with the force of gravity, it would cover 4.8 kilometers. Oh, uh, okay. And it would take 31 seconds. Um, and for every second the pod travels, it covers 312 meters. <laughs> so, um, obviously, if a pod fails in front of you or crashes out, yeah, you're going to have... Basically, if you break at full speed, and I think 1G is quite a, you know, significant deceleration speed. <laughs> um, you know, most trains emergency break 1.5 meters a second squared, this 10 meters mm. a second squared. So I feel like I'm being pretty, um, I'm giving it a lot of benefit yeah. of the doubt here. Um, but 30 second separation I just don't see happening um, because obviously you have this, but you also have the reaction time of how long it takes either a takes a computer system or a human to recognize the problem and to then start decelerating the pod. Yeah. Uh, one thing um, I just thought, if let's say it did suddenly have to break, are people strapped in to the pods or are they a bit loose? Well, is, the, is that what they said? I don't know. In the white paper, they're strapped in, but on other systems, they are just free to move about. Oh, okay. So, in those systems, obviously, there would be, have to be, you know, your limit is probably about 1.5 to 2 meters a second, mm. um, which is not as friendly. Yeah. Because um, I just think if you were, let's say, going down feet first and it suddenly stopped, your feet would probably hit the wall or whatever really quickly, I would assume. And it would yeah. not be a good time for those <laughs> ankles. And if, let's yeah. say, you were going the other way around and it was like head first, that would be even worse, I would imagine. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but it's, it it's doesn't sound of... like a good time. It's a lot of deceleration, yeah. I mean, essentially, the pod. Um, unless you, unless you're in contact with a surface that's exerting force on you, the pod can decelerate as fast as it likes. But uh, um, okay, you will still be traveling at seven hundred and sixty miles an hour, so that force has to be transferred into you. Mm. Um, so. There is that to consider. And obviously, there's a possibility for depressurization in the pod. Yeah. Um, and the pressure would be much lower than what you're exposed to if a plane depressurizes, for example. Um, so it could be difficult to breathe. <laughs> like, could be a little difficult to breathe. It might be one of the. I don't know exactly what happens when you try and breathe in a vacuum. Or in that kind of, you know, mm. really low pressure environment. But, um, you know, at 38,000 feet, you can breathe with an oxygen mask. Yeah. But I think if you 
try and I think what will happen if you're in a vacuum is I think when we're on Earth we have you know tons of pressure pushing in on us, so you'd be able to breathe in, and then you wouldn't be able to exhale because you're trying to push. I don't know exactly how it would work. Yeah, but yeah, it you would it breathing would be very hard. And it's in Did you say it was thirty minutes you'd be in there for? Am I right saying that, or how yeah, long? you could be in there to up to thirty-five minutes. So that's about thirty-five minutes where it would be hard to breathe from the sounds of things. It doesn't yeah, sound so you'd like need a lot fun. of you'd need fairly frequent emergency exits. Mm. Preferably less than every five minutes apart. Um, well, would so, each, would each like I, I was going to say seat, but I'm guessing bed or lying down area. Would that come with its own like oxygen mask? I think that's the idea, yeah. Um, but obviously, an oxygen mask might not be sufficient if you're not in a high enough pressure environment to be able to breathe properly. Mm. Um, possibly, you could re-pressurize the tube, but you don't want to do that probably too quickly. Okay. Yeah. Um, or obviously, you can have a failure of the vacuum of the tube. Um, that's a possibility. And yeah. obviously, travelling at 760 miles an hour, I think you can imagine many other ways you could possibly die. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I just thought, let's say even if they were able to work out a way for it to work completely safely, and it was working fine, the idea of someone being like, hey, get in this tube... Uh, we'll send you off at 760 miles per hour in a very pressurised environment. <laughs> um, I don't know, 350 miles or whatever it is. It doesn't sound like a nice time. Does that make sense? Speaking of a nice time... Pa- oh, okay, passenger comfort. Oh. Passenger comfort. And you so- thought of the Futurama thing already. <laughs> you'd already, you'd, oh. maybe it's an obvious kind of thing to say maybe I should show you the slides before I start no because then it would ruin my in like reaction I feel I don't that's know that's true that's true and also um, I already I already knew Futurama I mentioned it before so it's like exactly yeah who got the reference first me or you I mean, you probably did because you put that in before I really knew what this was. <laughs> but yes. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, passenger comfort is an important factor as it is the difference between a pleasant fil- pleasant journey and a vomit-filled nightmare. Um, aircraft passengers are typically exposed to 0.1 to 0.3 Gs, a G being gravity, so 1 G is the force of gravity. Um, Airline passengers are typically exposed to 0.1 to 0.3 Gs in takeoff and landing, um, with limited to no movement during cruise phases, weather conditions permitting. Um, Hyperloop Alpha suggests pod acceleration of up to 1 G and 0.5 G cornering forces. Um... On the other hand, railways tend to expose passengers to quite low accelerations. The fastest trains tend to accelerate at about 0.1 G, 
with maximum lateral forces being similar. Um, but if you've got a train going around a corner, and this will probably be similar for a hyperloop, um, you can basically make it do this. So the force of cornering outwards is kind of feels more like that. Okay, I don't know if I get You know like when story. a cyclist's on a venodrome. Ven- a venodrome. venodrome? Oh, a, ve- velodrome. a velodrome. Okay, yeah, no, I know what you they mean. They cycle they cycle up on the sort of bank. Yeah, but and then I guess the sort of force acting on them kind of pushes down that way, mm. sort of equals out to doing that. Yeah. So trains do a similar thing where they the tracks are at an angle uh, when they go around okay. a corner. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. That makes sense. So it sort of makes it feel less severe. And um, trains that are on particularly curvy tracks can um, actually tilt themselves. So they tilt the passenger cabin to increase the comfort, at least in theory. Mm. Um, Isn't that also, I don't know, sometimes when you're at a station, the train slightly tilts to the platform, I think. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just, I don't think they do. No. I might be wrong there completely. Yeah. Okay. Um But yeah, um so well so obviously um on planes and on trains, um on trains you can stand up and move around for the whole journey. Um planes you can you know, stand up and move around for most of the journey. Um you know, you can use facilities like the humble toilet. Uh, oh, I didn't even think about that with it. Okay, I'm guessing I can see where this is going to go. Change seats or stretch your legs. Mm. Um, so on the Hyperloop, the that doesn't really seem to be the case. <laughs> like, at least not if you're going, you know, if you've got cornering forces of half a G. Mm. and 1g acceleration and the potential obviously to have to do a rapid deceleration at about 1g um there's i mean the tube's first too small to stand up in you're being exposed to fairly high g forces which is not going to be good for motion sickness yeah and you have no toilets Mm. So all I'm going to say is that they better have a lot of bath bags ready. <laughs> have they not said anything about the toilet situation? Have they just forgotten to mention that? Because it's kind of an important thing, I feel. To be like, I where guess, will people go to the loo? I guess the logic is that it's a 35-minute journey. Yeah. So therefore, you'll just be able to hold it. But sometimes you can't just hold it. That's the yeah. thing. And I feel like the worst thing would be is if you were in a hyperloop and someone suddenly went to the toilet. <laughs> oh, God. Like, no, do you know what I mean? So or is, is the hyperloop just for adults or is it for kids as well? I'm sure kids would have to ride on it. Yeah. Because kids, kids are way it. less controllable with that kind of thing, I feel sometimes. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. 
I mean, as well, like babies, mm. maybe a baby changing facility you might want. Although babies are probably better because maybe they should just give everyone diapers. Yeah, that, that comes with the Hyperloop. Thing. Yeah, I mean, that's what astronauts do, right? <laughs> you just go in a diaper. Or they have, as your like strapping thing is like a diaper attached to some suspension like rope or something that's attached to the sides (laughs) and you slide into it as you get in i don't know i feel like maybe another option would just be to drug the passengers so they don't have to throw up and they also don't know that they've just shit themselves (laughs) yeah what about throwing up as well because it it sounds like the sort of thing where people could easily throw up from it very easily i mean it's gonna be roller coaster type accelerations like Uh, maybe not the most extreme roller coasters but yeah like roller coasters nevertheless it's gonna and obviously there's no windows oh okay yeah um at least not there won't be any windows on the actual tube there might be some windows on the pod but at the pressures they're dealing with those windows can't be very big so wait so there wouldn't be any windows. So would it just be dark inside? Well, I'm guessing would they have lights and stuff? I guess they'd have... The problem is, if you, I guess if you put lights on the tube and you're passing them at 700 miles an hour, that could cause problems with epilepsy. Oh, I, I meant um, in the pods themselves. Oh, yeah, they'll have lighting in the yeah. pod, I'm sure. I'm sure it wouldn't just be pitch black. Yeah. <laughs> that would be funny, though. Welcome to what's that ride at um, Alton Towers? The Smiler. Oh, yeah. It's just like the Smiler. You'll just get randomly, um, you'll just be blasted through pitch black at 760 miles an hour before smashing into the pod in front of you. Oh, God. <laughs> Hyperloop, since its inception, has been comparing itself against high speed rail, how it be cheaper, faster, safer. So let's just do it. Okay, yeah. Um, so I kind of do a sort of rough definition of high-speed rail because it's not necessarily just faster trains, although it is that. There's a sort of few things that make it the system that it is and what made the original Shinkansen in Japan. Um, it tends to be built up purely for fast express trains. So you, um... You know, you have overhead electrification, shallow curves, um, and no slow trains in the way. So Mm. it's only the fast trains. And that means that high-speed rail lines can carry far more people than a mixed traffic railway that has express local freight trains on it. Because um, if there's not a train stopping at a station in front of you, or, you know, travelling much slower, then there's no reason why the headways can't be relatively short. Um, Mm. You know, they can be five minutes or less on a lot of new lines. Um, Especially because the the signalling is now in cab, so it just tells the driver what speed to maintain. If it gets too close to the train in front of it, it just reduces the speed limit slightly just to increase that distance a bit again. Mm. So, um, yeah, modeling, modern signaling systems allow you to have a really short period of time between the trains on a lot of these corridors. Okay, yeah. Um, so, yeah. 
and high-speed rail can accelerate faster and climb steeper grades as the power tends to be distributed to each of the wheels on the train rather than just one locomotive in the front although i believe this plan involves one locomotive in the front Mm. but um you know a lot of trains actually just provide power on every wheel and it goes fast it can accelerate faster um so i have all the things okay so high speed rail um rail lines can carry 20,000 plus passengers an hour so it carries more people yes yeah. hyperloop can carry about 5,600 an hour i would say that's not just more that's like a lot more like, yeah hyperloop can only carry about a quarter yeah, just a bit over a quarter, but yeah. Um, you know, um, so another one is obviously high-speed rail. If you you don't necessarily have to build completely different infrastructure to every single destination you want to serve, mm. it's compatible with most existing standard gauge rail infrastructure. So that's fourteen thirty-five millimeters. Um, so, you know, you can run services across borders, you can run, um, services beyond sort of just a system that you've built. Yeah. Whereas the Hyperloop would probably need just entirely dedicated infrastructure to run the same journeys. Um, high speed rail, um, a lot of the new systems being built now travel up to 225 miles an hour. Um, and... It's been proven in tests um, up to 357 miles an hour. Okay. So so um, even though, because looking at the Hyperloop one, it says it can travel to 760, it proven-wise, it's actually better speed-wise. Yeah, Hyperloop, as of yet, has proven itself up to 100 miles an hour with people on board. <laughs> So, um, it's basically as good as trains were about a hundred years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. It's the next step in train evolution then, obviously. Yeah. We must Um, devolve to evolve. (laughs) We must devolve to evolve. And I don't want to say, I think the, the main thing is, is that right now this exists there are high-speed rail trains that go at 225 miles an hour that carry thousands of people each day. Mm. Um, whereas there are no Hyperloop systems that do that. Yeah. Do that. Um, you know, there isn't really any infrastructure even that's been built mm. bar 500-meter tubes. And yeah. obviously with the tubes, the longer it is, the more likely you are to have a problem with it. So that is the, it's kind of... That's the main thing I've been thinking throughout this is if Hyperloop was able to do everything it said it could do, obviously better than high-speed rail. Yes, yeah. Obviously. like, But it's such an... From what I can tell, anyway, but just hearing out about it in the, like, the last hour, I guess, is like it seems very hypothetical right now. Yeah, 
Um, so I don't know. It would be it'd be interesting, and it's interesting to hear people are continuing to do stuff into it, like other companies. Um, but right now, from what I can tell, high speed rail seems better. And the, I would say the main problem I have is safety, which you've kind of talked about here. Yeah, Hyperloop hasn't really been proven safety-wise at all. Mm. Whereas high-speed rail, um, for example, the Shinkansen, um, which is the first high-speed rail line to exist, hasn't had a single passenger fatality since it opened in 1964. Oh, that's really good. So... Um, you know, obviously you have issues with people trespassing on the tracks and stuff. Oh, um, okay, yeah. But if you travel on it as a passenger... Unlikely to die horrendously. You're basically... As of yet, there is no chance that you will die. <laughs> that is good, in my opinion. Whenever I get on a train, I like to know the exact chance it is that I'm going to die. So, <laughs> now yeah, I know it's that. Like, um. A lot of high-speed rail systems, there have been some high-profile crashes, but Hmm. sort of in general, because the trains are all traveling, um, you know, with a decent amount of distance in between them, like probably twice the distance it would need to break, probably more than that. Um, They have, you know, signaling systems, they have... Um, they're separated from other traffic. Um, there tends to be very few conflicts that could occur with, like, say, cars. Um, most rail systems built in Europe today tend to not be at grade. So they won't yeah. conflict with, say, like car traffic or with pedestrians or you know, they'll tend to just either take a bridge or make other things go over or under them. One thing I just thought, uh, I want to look into this a bit more now, but um, with Elon Musk's, like, numbers, where he said that high-speed rail was more dangerous than air air flight, was it? Was that just between San Francisco and LA? Probably it was just it was probably a number from say Amtrak and it was probably including total deaths like people falling onto the tracks or something. Yeah, because I I might be wrong, but in general I do feel like train travel seems safer than air. I mean, as you know, I would say air flight is more safe. I'm guessing in general, but they're not really that comparable a lot of the time. If that makes sense. Yeah, air travel tends to be safe, but it's generally rail when run properly. And I think one of the main issues in the US is that there's a lot of at-grade crossing. So, Mm. you know, just crossing at level with traffic. If you build a modern high-speed rail system that doesn't cross at grade, um, the chances of something actually happening to it are just incredibly low. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, the thing I just wondered was comparing a safe mode of transport like planes to another safe mode of transport like high-speed rail. Obviously, high-speed rail, from the sound of things, is more dangerous, but that doesn't mean it is dangerous. Yeah, I um, mean, it's it's ultimately depends what timescale you're recording it on, what systems you're including, yeah. and what 
accidents you are or aren't including. And also, even if high-speed rail is more dangerous than planes, it that doesn't mean you suddenly go, so we need to build Hyperloop. that makes it sound more like you're trying to say we should all take planes if you want to get places safely which is probably a stupid argument anyway anyway but it's interesting that that was one of the arguments used initially from the sounds of things is this whole safety idea but hyperloop doesn't seem that safe so here we go the train in question would be both slower more expensive to operate and less safe by two orders of magnitude by flying so why would anyone use it? <laughs> but yeah, yeah. If, if because flying is safe, that means it isn't much to be more unsafe than flying. Does that make sense? Well, ultimately, what Musk is doing is he is speculating on the possible safety of a system that doesn't exist yet. Oh, wait, yeah. It which is the exact built. same thing that he's doing with Hyperloop here when he says that I it's safer. About, yeah. And also, it would be interesting to know, let's say, for example, how more unsafe cars are than planes. Hellishly yeah, is more that, unsafe. But, but then he'll be like, but why are people driving cars? Well, it's cheaper for some people, or easier, it's more convenient. It's the most convenient option that yeah. they've been given. And the reason they don't have other options may be down to the fact that things like this might be sold to politicians. Mm in order to stop things like this from happening. Yeah. Um, And obviously, you know, comfort-wise, there is no competition. High-speed rail. I mean, they have sleeper trains. They have massive toilets. They're accessible for people in wheelchairs. I didn't even think about wheelchairs. Yeah, I didn't think about wheelchairs until now. Oh, (laughs) yeah. No one thinks about wheelchairs. (laughs) But, yeah, um... I'm sure you could be lowered into the seat, but you know it's yeah, not as easy as just getting on a train. Yeah, but then where people can put their luggage on Hyperloop, I guess. I'd or... assume you'd have to check it. I think yeah. it says that you check your luggage if it's over a certain size. So then, would that mean that they'd have to get out of the wheelchair, put it into like the luggage, and then get carried? I guess. <laughs> I think someone would probably take the wheelchair to the luggage for them after okay. helping oh, yeah. them in. That but... makes more sense. It's not as convenient as, say, a high-speed rail with level boarding yeah. where someone can just roll straight on without any assistance from anyone. Yeah, because that's the other thing is I feel like, in general, for like disabled people, how, giving them the ability to be as independent as they can be is the best thing. Cause it, is, yeah. it is demeaning having to rely on other people to get on a train. And know? unreliable as well yeah. because... I I remember seeing uh, I was on a packed train um, going back home a couple of years ago, and um, I saw there was this woman whose guy who her assistance guy never came or didn't find her, probably because it would been it was so busy there. Um, you know, he might have just forgot because he was just absolutely yeah overwhelmed. Um, with everything but she just got stuck on the train because no one could no one came with the ramp no one came to help her off oh so yeah it ended up that people when she told said what had happened it ended up people basically just stood in the door (laughs) and stopped the train from leaving until someone came and helped her off at the next stop Uh, okay but um yeah. yeah 
Accessibility is a big problem. It and, is. You know, Hyperloop, because Elon Musk hates disabled people. I've said it. <laughs> I've said it now. I can't go back, but yeah. Um, yeah, obviously, high acceleration would cause nausea. I don't think you have to... So, I also want to do Hyperloop versus Maglev. That, yeah, I would say this is the thing I'm interested in, because I do like the idea of Maglev. Personally. I just like Maglev. I like Maglevs. Yeah. Um... So maglev is maybe estimated to have a lower capacity than high speed rail, but it's still pot twice what Hyperloop yeah. is estimated to be. They'll I feel with Maglev you could probably make the trains longer. Mm. I will say that. You could probably just make the trains longer. But everything will be more expensive. So it'll be more expensive to make the trains for it. Yeah. Even though um, sorry, even though I was just saying how much I like Maglev. Looking at these figures now, I'm like, actually, high-speed rail seems like the best option. Yeah. No, high-speed rail is, you know, it's really widely deployed. There's a lot of technology research development that was already gone into it. And I think think if there's a main takeaway is that if, like Japan, you've already built a nationwide high-speed rail network that connects most people who want to do medium long distance journeys then go for maglev mm. because you've already done everything which is what japan is doing you know they've already got their um high speed rail network so actually a maglev is a sensible next step for them yeah whereas take somewhere like the us which doesn't have anything you can start off with, say, Hyperloop or Maglev, but if you've not even tried the tried and tested solution yet, yeah. then there's kind of no point. Um, so I'd say you go, you find the solution that's the cheapest and simplest to do what you want to do, which is to connect two cities at a reasonable, with a competitive travel time to flying or driving um so you do that and then if you go oh this has been successful maybe you can upgrade that do a few changes extend it and then you know once you've built a massive system that's really well used then go and you know sure start investing in maglev Mm. um so one of the issues is Maglev and Hyperloop will both require completely new dedicated infrastructure. Yeah. That's the problem with both of them. Um, the Maglev... So currently the line that travels between Shanghai and Shanghai Airport um, does 270 miles an hour in service with passengers. Mm. Um, and... The SC maglev is proven up to 375 miles an hour. How fast does high-speed rail go again? Sorry. Uh, the fastest high-speed rail train has done 357 miles an hour. Yeah. And then, and in general, it travels up to... Because that's not can, much slower, to be honest. Yeah, no, it's not that slow. It's... The, yeah. Yeah, it's really quick. And obviously, if you can, 
you know, if you don't quite have the money, you can use old existing lines to get into the centre of your city. And then when you get out of sort of the densely populated areas, you can then just absolutely, you know, flatline it Mm. and just go for, you know, the highest speed possible. Um, Which is a lot of what the French sort of did with their high-speed rail infrastructure is they used the standard lines to get out of the urban areas and then they just have these really fast high-speed corridors, similar to motorways, I guess, sort of on the outside, oh, connecting okay. between the sort of urban areas. Um, you know, maybe you don't have quite the capacity that you'd get with a completely enclosed system, but it's a great way of connecting cities together, um, you know, with shorter travel times with maybe not necessarily the horrendous cost mm. that you sometimes get. So, um, yeah, the commercial implement... So, yeah, Hyperloop, 760 miles an hour, proved 200 miles an hour. Maglev travels, um, you know, 270 miles an hour in service right now um, and has been proven up to 375. Mm. Um, Hyperloop, yet again, not proven on safety has not been enough yeah. of it to actually see if something goes wrong if it's properly mitigated yeah um whereas there have been some accidents in the development of maglev but when it comes to actual commercial implementations they've all been pretty safe i mean the fast one um the shanghai one has not really had any accidents oh, okay um, to my knowledge i'm pretty sure i checked it would, wait, I just wondered, because one of the things with normal trains is sometimes people get, like, electrocuted by tracks and stuff, don't they? Yeah. Is that a thing with maglev at all? Like, with magnets? I, I mean, they're like, I don't know. I wouldn't say anything, I guess, but... Yeah, no one's died on uh, Shanghai maglev. Um, oh, that's good. So, no, probably not. But I don't know exactly. It would probably depend on the implementation. Mm. Um, generally, the idea is just not to step on the tracks. Yeah, that's always <laughs> good rule of thumb. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, maglev is, again, you know, generally quite comfortable. Um, you can move around. You can stand up. Um and again, high acceleration and hyperloop. Um, and another thing I'll say with the sort of existing high-speed rail or maglev model is that if you can stand up safely, you can also carry a lot more people. <laughs> like, if not everyone has to be seated. And I know that obviously it's not the most comfortable thing and people will probably complain a bit, but, you know, if there's a busy event, and people just get out to the city and the option is getting home an hour later or just getting home now by a stand, Mm. then, you know, you can shift more people. Yeah, that's true. Um, So you get quite high levels of passengers. Um, And I also want to do... Ah. Hyperloop versus planes. Um... Let me just scroll down to where my notes are. Are planes going to completely destroy Hyperloop, I wonder? Probably. (laughs) 
So the estimated capacity I got for planes, because honestly, we're kind of taking a best case scenario here. Mm. For So I decided, so I looked at some figures. Um, Gatwick, which is a one runway airport, um, does 55 flights an hour. So that's one flight just over every minute. Yeah. Um, either take off or landing. Heathrow with two runways handles a flight every 45 seconds. So every minute and a half, um, each runway is handling a flight taking off or a flight landing. So it's, yeah, quite significant. So mm. I thought a sensible figure would be 38 380s an hour because this is per direction. So, you know, that would be 60 flights an hour landing, 65 yeah landing and taking off in total. So if you multiply that by how many people can you fit on an A380, which is 832, <laughs> you get a capacity of 22,600. I mean, this is very optimistic, mm. but equally, this is very optimistic. Yeah. Wait, are there no just figures in general from like San Francisco to LA? It's kind of hard to tell because it's like you don't know whether the necessarily the amount of passengers who currently travel by air is the normal full demand. And Uh, it's also just hard to know what the capacity is like. Oh, yeah. Especially right now with everything. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, that's true. Um, Planes can use, you know, existing airports, maybe with upgrades. um, And you don't need anything in the middle. Um, maybe, you know, some small control or broadcast stations, but, you know, planes fly over the sea where there's just nothing. So, basically, you don't really need any more infrastructure than already exists mm. um, to fly. I should have also put things, they belch a ton of carbon into the atmosphere. Yeah, actually, that, I did just realise that when we were going through this, because I was like, oh, this is great, but the negative for planes, obviously, is environmental impact. So it would yeah. have been interesting maybe to think about how each one would have affected the envir- environment maybe. Yeah, and I think I'd like to do an episode on sustainable transport, maybe see can we actually make planes not belch death fumes into the atmosphere. Oh, yeah, that would be good because I do feel like, like planes are very necessary a lot of the time, but is yeah. they're not great for the environment in general. So it's kind of You see planes are just kind of great mm. in that they're really quick. They're generally pretty comfortable. I mean, it's better than being on a boat for like a week. Um, they're really cheap. Um, like for what, you know, the service that they provide, they're pretty incredibly cheap. Um, and obviously, you know, without them, well, without them, COVID probably wouldn't have spread as quickly as it did. But, <laughs> you know... <laughs> without them we wouldn't have had the opportunity to go and see so many places so yeah um you know planes are a pretty incredible bit of tech but unfortunately they you know having having really energy dense fuels is kind of a necessity Mm. Um, but on a 350 mile an hour mile flight maybe you could get away with batteries um that's still very experimental but equally where's my cursor 
equally, this is very experimental. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, quid pro quid pro quo, as they say. Um, commercial planes. I took this from the A three eighty. Travels at five hundred and sixty one miles an hour. Um, but Concorde was proven uh, would fly up to. 1,354 miles an oh. hour. So, if you want to, you can go a lot faster yeah. than that. Um, you know, very safe, maybe not perfectly safe, mm. um, but... Of course, not everything is, but like, a lot of the time when I when you hear about air accidents now, I don't know, they're very rare in general, I feel, and sometimes... Yeah. It's not mechanical error, if that makes sense. It's more yeah. human. I don't know. And also, there was, oh, I've forgotten when that was. It was a few years ago now, probably. When uh, Was it Russia or someone shot down a plane? Oh, yeah, that wasn't great. Yeah, that's one of the main, yeah. more recent ones I've heard about. And then there's, of course, the Malaysia Airlines one from a few years where no one really. I think worked that was also happened. a suicide, that one. Oh, uh, okay. Um, the pilot. I didn't know if we realised what that was, but oh, that's interesting then. Yeah, I think that's kind of, they basically summed up that the pilot of the plane had basically decided to fly the plane to a place that he knew they'd basically never be able to find the wreckage. Oh. They've just flown it to the most remote corner of the ocean, and that's basically, they realised that Whilst we can't say exactly what happened, mm. this is the most likely thing that happened. Oh, okay. Is that it was the pilot but yeah, in, decided to do it. In both those cases, it's human error of some yeah. kind that kind yeah, of, of led kind. to the air crash. And there, I would say, I mean, there might be there might be some of us I don't know as much about, but they seem to be the main two that I remember. There is the seven thirty seven Max, which basically just had a randomly crash feature. Oh, okay. Where it would just basically pitch the nose into the ground. Oh. <laughs> basically, yeah. it would think that the plane was in a stall. So a stall is where your airspeed isn't enough. Yeah. Uh, okay. And then you lose lift and you drop. Mm. So it would try and push the nose down, but it would wrongly think it was in a stall. Uh... And it would just make the plane crash. Yeah. Basically, it was almost like just having a big red button that just said crash on it. <laughs> uh, were they able um, to fix that? Though? Because that was one thing I always liked. When I when growing up, I watched quite a bit of air crash investigations. And they would always be like, they learned from this and were able to fix it in the future. That makes yeah, sense. I guess that's... I guess that sort of applies to all of the technologies that exist, which is why I kind of say unproven safety is that... Mm. You know, with rail, with um, planes, they were kind of less so. But, you know, with those two, there have been accidents, but those have sort of provided learning opportunities. So the fact that that learning process has basically already been done for these forms of transport. Yeah, it it might be easier to improve upon the existing ones that we know of rather than trying to create hyperloop even though the other option could be maybe hyperloop could be the ultimate form of transport and we just need to let a few people die first yeah just have a few accidents learn from them just have a few accidents and And then maybe we can streamline the learning process and just purposely blow 
things like up. pods up, yeah. <laughs> and then we can learn from them. Yeah. I mean, that's basically what they're doing with the SpaceX rockets. But I'm guessing... They're streamlining the explosion process. <laughs> with, the, with the SpaceX rockets, people aren't in them, right? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, no, people aren't in them, no. Yeah, so at least people aren't dying. That's the main thing. Yeah, that's the main thing. Yeah. Um, and I said, uh, yeah, obviously, planes, I sweat usually comfortable. Mm. Um, obviously, you know, weather permitting. Yeah. And take off and landing, but then take off and landing, 0.1, 0.3 Gs, 0.5 Gs in the corners, and 1 G acceleration. Uh, okay, yeah. You know, planes are not as much as, you know, planes are probably like a quarter of, you know, a third of what you'd be exposed to on the Hyperloop. Mm. So, to be honest, though, even though like takeoff and landing and stuff, there's a lot of G's and everything. Well, there's more than normal. Um, I enjoy that. It's yeah, kind of fun. fun. It is so fun. maybe actually the Hyperloop would be really fun. To it go could be on. fun. Yeah, it could be. Maybe the could... maybe you're mis like um, misinterpreting uncomfortability <laughs> as fun. I guess I guess the thing is is that for most of the journey on the plane, it doesn't really expose you to high G forces. Yeah, that's, so oh yeah, it'd be the whole. It's like you have the takeoff, that's fun, and then you can kind of walk around and do things, yeah. or you know they can bring the um, trolley down and give you food and snacks and stuff, mm. which you don't get on the Hyperloop. Yeah. Um, so yeah. What I also wanted to do is sort of to round out the episode is I wanted to talk about the loop. What is this? So this isn't the Hyperloop, which a lot of the news gets the two confused. But I wanted to sort of use this as an example of something that has, they have attempted and they've tried to deploy and maybe how the original idea becomes watered down and isn't necessarily as if, you know, doesn't necessarily live up to the promises that were said when it was originally proposed. Okay. Um, so, basically, yeah, another one of Elon Musk's uh, adventures, as we might say. Um, and he wanted to build a load of tunnels under the cities, which would involve, involve driving your car onto this sort of powered sled it lowering down into the tunnel mm. and then driving up, um, you know, propelling itself up to 200 kilometers an hour, 125 miles an hour um, to another destination of your choice. Ooh. Um, so again, loop compares itself to a subway instead of, you know, high, what hyperloop is to high speed rail is what loop is to the subway. Yeah. Is it like just a subway for cars basically? By the sounds of things. Kind of, yeah. And, you know, you can have these pods things. Oh, that people, that are Like transport pods, but also cars. Um, and they promised the system would cost $10 million a mile instead of $350 million a mile of the subway system. Um, the $10 million a mile quote was for tunnelling, just for tunnelling. Oh, so it would be a lot more than Whereas, that, probably. 
yeah, a $350 million a mile quote was for a whole subway system. So that's everything mm. included in the system. So just talking stations, stations are expensive to construct, especially underground. Yeah. Um, you know, you're talking track infrastructure, power systems, escape system, uh, you know, emergency escape systems. Um, so let's get on to downgrade one. So you notice sleds in this slide. Yeah. No more sleds. Um, so the self-powered sleds were a bit ambitious. So now the cars use a standard car lift to descend into the tunnel and a ramp on the other end. Okay. So are these um, just tunnels? Yeah. So he's he's invented car tunnels. Yeah. Again. Oh, okay. He's reinvented a car tunnel. Wow. Well, don't worry, it gets better. Um, so to guide them through the tunnel, they use these like little sort of guide wheels to keep them centred, similar to the Adelaide Guided Busway. Oh. Or the Guided Busway in Bristol, actually. Oh, wait, yeah. Um, it only a little bit, though. For that, so yeah. not usually, but yeah. But note how similar this looks. Yeah, look at that, and then look at this. I do like that um, transition or whatever for getting the. Thank you. It is. In. It's very nice. Um. So, yeah, this goes in a tunnel as well for some of it, mm. and it, yeah, it has wheels on the side. It carries a lot of people. There's no traffic, as you can see. Um, yeah. And it was built in nineteen in like the nineteen eighties, so it already exists. And also, it's a but. So is he just doing it again, but with cars, basically? I guess. Yeah, cars, not buses. Okay. But don't worry. So, still, the idea is you know you use the self-driving tech inside the cars to take you to where you want to go. You don't have to drive it. Mm. Um, but then we get to the loop downgrade two. So um, this tweet kind of sums everything up. We simplified this a lot. It's basically just Tesla's in a tunnel at this point, which is way more profound than it sounds. <laughs> um, so is it only Tesla's as well? Yeah. So basically, as soon as they decided the cars were going to be self-propelling, you basically have to do electric cars. Oh, uh, okay. So... This is a system that's just opened in Las Vegas. Oh, so it's a real thing. Yeah, it actually exists now. This is a three like CG rendering, but there are news reports out there this system exists. Oh, I might look in wait, this sounds so stupid though a little bit, but I might I'd go it. for it, yeah. But wait, um, are they do you have to have your own Tesla to use it or is it like you get no, into a you Tesla? You basically get into a Tesla that's there. Okay. And then you're driven to your destination. So, but why don't they just have trains, like a subway? Um, Teslas are cool. They are. Subways are boring. That's true. Public transport's boring. You have to share the train with other people. Yeah. Just forget that, you know, you've been sharing the whole convention centre with, like, other people. You know. Mm. So... Musk was awarded $48.7 million to build the mile-long system connecting the various halls of Las Vegas Convention Center. Oh, it was just the convention center. 
Yeah. Oh, I thought it was like the whole of Las Vegas. Okay. No, it's just one mile long. Oh. It has three stations. And interestingly, it costs $48.7 million to build, which is about five times the cost, what he said the cost per mile was originally. <laughs> so, you know, clearly it's not just all. Um, but interestingly, they, they replaced the guideway with this kind of tarmac-based surface. So a road? Yeah, yeah, they ba- replaced it with a road. <laughs> so yeah, um, so they've just put tunnels for cars to drive through in the ground. Be like, we yeah. have revolutionised. We've revolutionised public transit. Oh god! So um, they replaced the guideway with a tarmac su- uh, surface, and now, um, due to it carrying members of the public and multiple cars, it travels at thirty miles an hour instead of one hundred and twenty-five. Oh, <laughs> uh, also, um, this is a small thing, but if they're just normal Teslas, I'm guessing someone would be in the driving seat. Someone would be in the. Do you know what I mean? Like it would, you'd be in a normal car, wouldn't you? Which I feel yeah. isn't very nice. A bit awkward. Yeah, it's probably more awkward than the train because like. everyone's facing the same direction. As yeah. I I know there's like some self driving cars where no one's driving and it's like um you're looking at each other. If that makes sense. Do you know It's not great for groups. Yeah. It would take you know, and obviously um oh yeah, yeah, the self driving thing. Um for safety reasons each car will have a driver. Oh, just you know, maybe just to start with, or for the next ten years. So there's no self drive. So that's one seat taken. I'm guessing there's probably three other seats in each car. Uh, yeah, I think there are five seaters, uh, but you know, obviously you so no in the middle in the back. Yeah, seats. no one wants the middle seat. <laughs> no one wants the middle so seat. So that that seat doesn't exist in my mind. So it's three seats for people, oh. and yeah, the- and now they need to employ like fifty drivers full time probably more than that because if you've got like you want to run it probably mm. 12 hours a day at least probably you'd think that this um, would be the sort of thing where a self-driving car would do really well because it's a closed loop yeah so they, if in they, a tunnel. they could literally program a route in do you know what i mean i think they have like one pedestrian crossing somewhere oh uh, okay but they could have easily eliminated that just used like a bridge or something yeah but yeah, if they can't implement a self-driving car in literally an entirely closed loop, mm. isolated from pedestrians, other car traffic, like you know, entirely con- you know controlled conditions, you know the roads aren't going to suddenly change layout. Everything's going to stay the same. It's all controlled, <laughs> but they can't do it. Yeah. So I mean. You know, people will probably say that they'll eventually get self-driving working on it or something, but I'll I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, that's quite. Fu- oh, um, but yeah, basically, it's just now. Um, oh yeah, and now it's all like you're using uh, luxury sedans to transport people, <laughs> which is very cheap, and I'm sure won't become a you know, heavy, heavy burdensome cost moving forwards along with probably the 40 staff members you'll need on 
call all the time to run the system. Mm. Probably more because you'll need maintenance staff, you'll need people to help people at the platforms. Again, people with disabilities, it's going to take them a very long time to get in the car. Yeah, oh God. So, you know, with a people mover or a train, um, where, you know, if you build a system like this, you can have the platform at the same height as the door, so you can just roll your wheelchair on. Yeah. Or, you know, convention goers with suitcases, um, just tons of, like, goodie bags Mm. and stuff, um, you know, they'll have to chuck it in the boot or, you know, squeeze in there with it, with their backpacks, camera equipment, you know, TV cameras if it's a film crew. I've decided something just now, which is I feel like Elon Musk, he, 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 like, sees problems, or not even real problems, to be honest, from the sounds of things. Like, but he's like, oh, I'll try and find a solution, but he doesn't really know what to do. So he just yeah. he just does something. I don't know. But he he's the richest person in the world, so he can kind of he, can he do does it. it yeah. But <laughs> but it's kind of the worst part about it is now we've spent what like since this idea came to conception five or six years where. Not only could the Vegas have built a, you know, extended a monorail, the monorail, like even a monorail. I know, you know, that Simpsons meme, but even a monorail would have done a better job. Um, I eventually think though with these tunnels, because they're so narrow, they're just going to put moving walkways in them. Yeah. So yeah, basically just big travelators, and that will just be how it works. Um. Yeah, that's eventually what I see happening with this. But, um, yeah. Oh, he also agrees to, like, um, only be paid once he actually proved that this had, like, the capacity of an equivalent people mover system. Okay, so, that's good, I guess. So, yeah, I don't think he's going to see that money. Yeah, but it's good that he said that. It's not he didn't just do it for the money, I guess. Yeah. But that also suggests that he kind of believed the idea was going to work. I don't know. Probably. I think he does believe... I think he does drink his own Kool-Aid, for sure. Mm. Um, But, you know, we've looked at Hyperloop, we've looked at the loop, but to bring it back to Hyperloop, I've got a slide about final grades. Yeah. Um, So, let's have feasibility. Okay, so, is it possible? Yeah. How do we do it? I, I, I think... It if let's say you had an unlimited amount of money, it would be possible to build a hyperloop, maybe. Like, but I don't know if it would be work with passengers inside. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. I could see yeah. people building one and being able to shoot one of the, the like pods down it, like once or twice, maybe. Like that would be possible. It might not. I don't know. After like loads and loads of times using it in the sun and uh, that would have to have to have like a tunnel or something around it which is not what they planned yeah do you know like stuff like that but i could see it being a possibility so, so I'll, I'll give it like a three out of five feasibility or two point no nice. 2.5. 2.5 are we allowed point, put like decimals yeah, we're allowed decimals. Cool. Yeah, we make that rule now. I'd say it's like fifty-fifty. Like I, I can see it maybe yeah. being possible, but not exactly. 
practicality though is where I think it falls apart. I just don't think it's practical, so I'll give it like a one. Yeah. Man. From what I can tell, it just doesn't seem practical. So it gets a can we do it grade of I'm becoming better at drawing with my mouse, even though I should probably just yeah, find my I do feel um, you need to um probably get your A's a bit more rounded because it sounds every time I see you write can it looks like kun <laughs> there perfect you got rid of it can we do it Is um, shall we give it that's 3.5 3.5 out of 10 I guess yeah what about coolness coolness if it worked I don't know actually this is the thing. The idea is cool, but in reality, it sounds really bad. Does that make sense? Like, the idea yeah, of like cool. shooting at like 700 or so miles per hour for a tube sounds awesome. Um, but then the idea of having to be in like a coffin is how I imagine it <laughs> for like half an hour, just lying there. That doesn't sound that cool. I'd rather yeah. be able to sit and like maybe stand up and go to the toilet and stuff in a train. Being able to go to the toilet is quite a cool thing, in my opinion. I I always find it a weird experience where I'm like, you know, in a train toilet, I'm like, I'm traveling at 100 miles an hour right now. Yeah. This is a cool... I think probably one of the biggest things, if I was to, you know, implement... If I was to cause any changes in the ratings, is I'd say... Hyperloop in a vacuum hat um, is a cool idea. Mm. If it was just, uh, you know, exercise in research, in, you know, testing things, in engineering things to try and do it. But I think the problem is comes when they start touting it as like a, you know, oven ready solution to politicians yeah. who don't really understand anything to do with infrastructure anyway and just go, oh, well, this is cheaper and this is um, faster and this is better. So um, they just kind of get tied up in the Hyperloop, the loop of Hyperloop. Yeah, and then exactly. they kind of forget about the other cool thing that exists that we could do. Called high-speed rail or not even yeah. high-speed rail, just like other things basically high speed rail you know try and make planes less horrendous for the climate um or um maglevs mm. that you know maglevs aren't perfect but they exist they work and you know you'd probably you'd be if you threw enough money at it you'd come out with a working system at the end of it so yeah you know at least they can be that <laughs> for sure for it yeah so i would say with coolness for this i'll, I'll give it a two out of five yeah because i feel like there is cool things in the hypothetical of it but the reality of it isn't cool at all so that that that's kind of two for the hypothetical coolness but not really anything else about it yeah so, that yeah. makes sense i think Hyperloop, I also want to say, because there probably will be some Musk fans if they watch it who will go crazy. Um, but I 
used to be really excited about Hyperloop. Uh, okay. Like back when it first came out. And then the more I sort of learn about it, the less, just the less enthused I am with it. Mm. Um, and especially after seeing what's happened with this sort of loop system um, and what the reality of it actually looks like, it's kind of, a, it's just very, it's very disheartening to see them try and sell the use as technologies that are ready for the prime time. Yeah, have you got anything that you want to add? Oh, no, I thought you were in the middle of saying it. Um, uh, but what I'll say, I guess, <laughs> is, um, what was that? I had a thought. Oh, yeah, with the whole thing with Hyperloop is, uh, from looking again at, like, what you were saying about him doing the loop thing, it'd be funny if he ended up trying to sell them high-speed rail again. <laughs> if that's the way it that went that would be funny yeah that would be funny as he's like goes well actually in an interview they were asking elon musk what um he thought the best solution for um suspending the pods was mm. and he responded uh i think the wheels would be the best solution <laughs> <laughs> i'm not making this up uh. i'm actually going to show you the clip it, like if somebody were, was going to build uh, a working hyperloop like, um, and try, try to make it work, I would, I, I would advocate starting with the simplest useful system. Um, so I'd probably advocate um, wheels. And, uh, and <laughs> yeah. So a high-speed railway Maybe he with is, wheels. He's going to make a high-speed railway now. And he's gonna... I'm actually almost certain after watching that that he's just going to reinvent the train. <laughs> <laughs> but probably worse. He'll call it the Muskmobile. <laughs> like, he's reinvented. Or the... Wait, he'll call it the Moraine? Moraine. The Moraine. It's, like, it's not a train, it's Moraine. A hyper train. A hyper train. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It's like, advocate for the simplest possible system that works. The train. 